This is Chris. Welcome to episode one of Weblapsed. What the Weblapsed? Uh, you you might be asking yourself, what in the hell is this idiot doing? And uh, well, you'd be right to ask that question. The thing of it is, is uh, I've uh, started to read Amazing Spider-Man again, and uh, considering that this is a holiday weekend here in the states, I thought it might be fun to maybe do something a little bit different. I thought about running just compilations all weekend to give me a few days off, you know, to celebrate and cook and clean and get the Christmas stuff up, but here we are. We're doing another show. (laughs) We're doing a show that I don't know if this will be a regular show. I don't know if this will be an ongoing show. This might be a one and done. In any event, I just really wanted to share my experience with you in revisiting Spider-Man. It's been a while since I've read any Spider-Man books here. Uh, Spider-Man is a weird one for me. Uh, He was my first superhero, but he was never, like, my superhero. (laughs) You know, if that makes any sort of sense. I, uh, you know, Spider-Man was who I had the underoos of and the, the pajamas and the toys. That was the hero that I knew before I knew what comic books were. But he was never really a... Priority for me at the racks, you know. Spider-Man was just not a book that I read all the time. I've got I've got many many runs of Spider-Man, but uh, he's kind of like my you know Marvel Batman, you know, where Batman another character I really really like, but not one that I have like a you know an unbroken run of. You know, I will drop out of Batman from time to time. I will drop out of Spider-Man from time to time. I'll always come back. But I'll always drop out again, too. It's And it's not... They're not books that I'm, like, incentivized to actually go back and fill in what I missed. Of course, if I see... You know, if I see something on the cheap, I'll grab it. But uh, it's not like where... It's not like the X-Books. It's not like Superman, where if I drop out for whatever reason, for whatever length of time, when I come back, I gotta backfill. You know, that is priority one. I gotta backfill, I gotta make sure that run is put back together and there are no gaps, and I've got 100% of 100%. And it was never that way with Spider-Man. And uh, if you'll indulge me, before we get into the book we're going to be discussing today, I'd like to just go through kind of a quick and dirty (laughs) on my life and times with uh, The Amazing Spider-Man and the various Spider-Man titles. Now, as I've mentioned here on the channel before, I was a uh, a lunch money comic fan. You know, when I got into comics, I was getting lunch money, and I very, very seldom bought school lunch. It was just save those quarters and uh, and buy comics. Uh, once or twice a week, I would pop in. So I would buy my X Men stuff, which was my priority. But if I ever had, you know, any 
extra money in my pocket, just burning that hole, right? Or if an X-Book didn't come out that particular week, I could sample things. You know, I could sample other books. You know, I, I stuck to the Marvel books at that point. And occasionally I would pick up a Spider-Man issue, and this was um, just post-McFarlane, right? So this was 1991, 1992-ish, and boy, I was uh, pretty lost. Now, that's not entirely to say that they weren't new reader-friendly, because, you know, they were. It was just a different sort of family of titles than the X-Books. You know, the X-Books, they, they seem to follow their own... Sort of story, right? You had X-Force doing their thing, the blue team doing their thing, the gold team doing their thing, X-Factor doing their thing, Excalibur doing their thing. But you also had these four Spider-Man books that were all doing their own thing. And I think I mentioned this uh, talking about Batman a while back, where I fell into Shadow of the Bat. You know, it was a number one. It was, you know, the beautiful painted covers. There was the hype for uh, Batman Returns. So I popped in on Shadow of the Bat. And I really bought into that story, and I remember it was issue three that ended with Batman, like, cornered by every bad guy in Arkham Asylum. And I'm just, like, on the edge of my seat, like, what's going to happen here? How This is the straw that stirs the drink here. What's going to happen? And then I go to the comic store and see that there's Batman, there's Detective, there's Legends of the Dark Knight, and they're all doing their own thing. And it just took the wind out of my sails that the book that I was following wasn't the be-all, end-all. It was just... Another book, it was another story It really didn't matter So with Spider-Man, we had uh, Amazing We had Spectacular We had, uh, did we have Sensational yet? No, no, we had Web Of And we had Adjectiveless All doing their own thing Of course, there were the crossovers We had Maximum Carnage, stuff like that But for the most part They were kind of going in their own direction So you'd grab a handful of Spider-Man books And they're all telling different stories And... My 11, 12-year-old brain couldn't wrap my head around it. Not that I was an idiot or much of an idiot, but I had that understanding that I would have to buy all of these books all of the time in order to follow along as a, you know, in, in an advantageous sort of way. And Spider-Man wasn't my priority, so I was only buying them here and there. So I was basically coming in blind... And not really playing the game right. You know, I wasn't all in on it, so I was missing out. And so I would pop in, I'd pop out, and I really was never satisfied by it. It was just like, eh, it's, I, I got this extra buck and a quarter in my pocket, I need to spend it. <laughs> you know, I treated every bit of lunch money like, I was, uh, like it was a surplus, like a business surplus at the end of the fiscal year. You know, if I don't spend it, it's not, I'm not going to get it next time around. So I had to spend it on something. Now, I just mentioned Maximum Carnage not too long ago, and that was the first time I ever tried to buy Spider-Man, like, in earnest. You know, that was my... that was my line in the sand of, okay, I'm jumping in on Spider-Man, I'm gonna buy everything. (laughs) I'm gonna follow this story, and I'm gonna follow all the books from that point on. You know, my books were gonna be the X-Men, and the the four or five now Spider-Man books, including Unlimited. And, uh, well, here's the thing, this was the speculator boom. And while the X-Men were like the top dogs, you know, top of the uh, top of the food chain, top of the sales charts, all the comic shops in the area ordered sufficient copies. You know, there were always a ton of them on the shelf. So I never really had to worry about not getting an issue of whichever X-Book I wanted to get. Spider-Man was a little different, though. 
I don't feel like the local shops ordered in quite the same quantity as they did the X-Books. And so, during Maximum Carnage, I missed out on some chapters. I did get, and I mean, <laughs> I bought X-Men, uh, not X-Men, Spider-Man Unlimited, number one, which was the first part of Maximum Carnage, and I think it was like a $4 book, and this is 1992, paying $4 for a book that... Upon reading it, didn't make all that much sense to me. It wasn't great. And I mean, I I love 90s comics. You know, I'm not one of the people out there who will, you know, lambast a comic for being, you know, too 90s. Uh, the 90s are my comfort food. So it's certainly not, I'm not holding the 90s-ness against it, but it was just like bad 90s. <laughs> it just wasn't great. And uh, I missed those chapters, and I never felt... Um, I never prioritized tracking them down. In the years since, I've gotten them, but at the time, I didn't. And then when Maximum Carnage ended, I was just like, eh, you know, I don't, I don't really need to go all in on Spider-Man. I'm sure the fact that the X-Men were having, like, crossovers every six months with hologram and uh, foil covers, you know, overcharged books... Putting that putting a crimp on my budget was probably that um, <laughs> probably helped in my decision uh, in not following uh, Spider-Man. Uh, also, there was the death of Superman at this point, the reign of the Superman, the funeral for a friend. My financial pittance was uh, promised elsewhere, so Spider-Man fell off again, and I went away for uh, what was this '92? I came back right at the start of the Clone Saga because. A friend of mine was reading uh, some of the Spider-Man books, and he was telling me about this clone thing, and he was also buying Wizard. Now, I bought Wizard when I could afford it. You know, uh, Wizard was a, another a $4 expenditure every month, so if I had the extra $4 burning a hole in my pocket, sure, I'll pick up an issue of Wizard. It wasn't every month. Uh, it wouldn't be every month for, you know, until I was making money. So I would pick up an issue here or there, but my friend would always get it. He might have even had a subscription to it. And I remember him telling me about uh, the the whole Clone Saga thing and how it was a callback to you know Amazing Spider-Man 149, 150-ish, and how uh, this was a really creative way to use an old story to tell a new story here. And being a reader and a fan of my vintage, coming in in the early 90s, mysteries were the, like the big thing in in comics uh, especially marvel you know who is cable who who is what is wolverine's origin we have all these mysteries and it was hard not to kind of fall in so i picked up a few issues of the clone saga he was picking up all of them i believe but um i was able to kind of keep up through him and as with earlier attempts to collect spider-man i was not buying everything i just couldn't be buying everything there was just so so much and the X-Men line had blown up. Uh, we're going into, like, Age of Apocalypse. We're going into X-Men Deluxe. And the money just wasn't there. You know, the money just was not there to take on an entire other family of books. So I picked up here and there, followed along with him, and then uh, came my first ever comic book temper tantrum hiatus. You know, I left in 1995 and told myself and the shop owner that I would never, ever ever be back. And I never did. So uh, thank you for listening. Oh, no, no, no. I, I came back many, many, many times here. I wouldn't come back to Spider-Man, though, until 
the post-Clone Saga, like, toward the end of the first volume. There was some good buzz going on. The uh, I think it was Tom DeFalco doing amazing at the time. And a lot of people were, were saying it was good because it was um, it felt like classic Spider-Man. And, in fact, it did, but not, <laughs> not in the good way. It felt very, very stale, in my opinion. It felt like there was just... Uh, I don't want to say it was too safe, because after all the upheaval of the mid to late 90s, maybe a little bit of uh, safety or conservative storytelling was uh, what the doctor, you know, ordered. But to me, it just felt boring. It felt stale. It felt like I was reading, like, rehashes from Marvel Tales, which I neglected to mention was, uh, like, that was the Spider-Man book that I was able to kind of collect early, early on. Uh, mostly because nobody wanted it. You know, it was very cheap. That was the one Spider-Man book that would show up in... We didn't even have dollar bins at that time. It was just like the cover price bin. <laughs> you know, the stuff that wouldn't get bagged. Just the stuff that was in that, like, random short box that was on the floor at the comic store. There would be some Marvel Tales in there, so you'd be able to collect something with Spider-Man on the cover, and it made you feel like you were, I don't know, one of the one of the cool kids who <laughs> was keeping up with the characters here. And as it was very early on in my fandom, there was that uh, feeling of uh, quantity over quality. And that's not to say that the stories inside those uh, Marvel tales were bad, because they certainly weren't, for the most part. But um, it was more about, you know, getting as many comics as I possibly could. So it didn't really matter that it wasn't an Amazing Spider-Man. It was just, it has Spider-Man on the cover, and it's cheap-ish, so I can just, you know, collect it. But back to the uh, late 90s, turn-of-the-century era here. This was around the time where they announced that Spider-Man was going to get relaunched. They were going to cut down to two Spider-Books, just Amazing Spider-Man and Peter Parker Spider-Man. And this is something that they refer to, or we refer to as fans, as the Burn Mackey reboot. And this is something I've written extensively about over at Chris's on Infinite Earths. Uh, This was supposed to be (laughs) my big... uh, Article writing comeback, uh, where I was going to cover The Gathering of Five, the last chapter, and then into the new reboot era. And this is around the time, and I've talked about this uh, before, I've kvetched about this before. This is when Blogger kind of changed the way it did things, and uh, it was very unuser-friendly. Like, right in the middle of this project I was doing. I think the last article I wrote on it was Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, Number 1. And it was a a very long issue, a very uh, dense issue, a lot of stuff being dropped in our laps, and it probably took me an entire day to write that article because Blogger was just being a real pain, and it never got any better. So uh, so that's one of the handful of projects I can plop into the uh, yet-to-be-completed pile. Maybe we'll get back around to it sometime, I don't know. But, uh... Regardless of whether or not I got to write about these things, I did read them. I read them, and they were... uh, I mean, I'm not saying anything that anybody hasn't said already. They were quite horrendous. And now, oddly, and for whatever strange reason, I actually dropped Peter Parker. So I was just collecting Amazing. I... Seems weird. Going... Like, to think back to those books where they were pretty much identical. (laughs) You know, they weren't... Neither of them were good. Neither of them were good, but uh, for some reason I dropped Peter Parker about uh, ten issues in and kept up with Amazing, even though that was also quite bad. Um, 
But I wouldn't be gone long because uh, Paul Jenkins would take over uh, Peter Parker And he did a lot of fun stuff with, uh, with that book And a few months after that Because I think this was like a, Boy, there was a I think it was Peter Parker 25 And I think they actually had like a foil Or some sort of uh, enhanced cover I don't remember exactly what it was But it was very odd because This was a time where we weren't really getting that You know, we were kind of in the throes of the backlash towards the 90s at this point It was turn of the century and we were all way too smart and sophisticated for 90s gimmicks So, uh, you know, foil covers, enhanced covers, they were just um, like a bygone era thing But I remember there was like a a Green Goblin uh, fight And I want to say there was like a foil Spider-Man logo on the uh, cover And that was a very fun story, a story that I wasn't expecting much out of But... um, I really enjoyed it Then a few months after that, uh, J. Michael Straczynski comes in And I felt like he had a very, very strong uh, start to his run I know his run has been discussed And it's kind of divisive, right? Some people just absolutely adore it Some people didn't really care for it I'm probably somewhere in the middle I thought it started really strong Loved John Romita Jr.'s art on the book Um Really gave Peter a feeling of progression You know, he was maturing here It was He started working as a teacher I mean, he felt like he was Kind of coming of age Where That's not something we got to see from Peter all that often He seemed to be like in this stunted Arrested development If not being de-aged or dematured. You know Under Straczynski, it was a, a maturation Rather than a you know, de-maturation I suppose a lot of interesting stories there um, The addition of like Ezekiel to the mythos was a little odd I don't know that I was totally on board with the whole spider totem stuff um, Straczynski did write a great Aunt May For the first time, I think perhaps ever uh, Aunt May was not this frail old biddy with a weak heart She was actually just a, you know, a, a senior citizen, a healthy and vibrant person who... Could speak for herself and could uh, stick up for herself And wasn't always swooning, you know Wasn't always just wearing an apron Bellied up to the uh, to the kitchen counter making the, uh, making the wheat cakes And now I'm not sure if that was all Straczynski's plan Because around this time Ultimate Spider-Man came out Which featured a much younger Aunt May And was, uh, I've said this before This was, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man was probably the book That Brian Bendis was born to write You know, I thought that was phenomenal Just such a great idea and something I expected nothing from I expected it to just be rehash And eventually it became that, right? It did become that But, and despite all of the very blatant decompression I mean, the Amazing Fantasy 15 was stretched out to, what, six issues? It was still an enjoyable read And it was a fan favorite And I wonder if the... You know, youthifying of Aunt May might have trickled over into the uh, mainstream Amazing Spider-Man book In any event, she was very well portrayed uh, Straczynski had her find out that Peter was Spider-Man There was a very wonderful issue of just the two of them having the hash-out discussion of uh, Aunt May's discovery That was uh, quite well done, and I enjoyed it very much I think this was... a. Uh, a story that was interrupted by the um, black cover issue, the 9-11 issue, which, if you've read the 9-11 issue of Amazing Spider-Man, what was it, number... I don't remember what number it was, 36, 38, something like that. That one's kind of divisive. <laughs> that one is kind of divisive, kind of dicey, but um, 
I think that interrupted the flow of the uh, the Ant May discovery. I think the issue before that we had the discovery, then we had the special issue, and then the issue after that is when we had the discussion. Of course, this run would uh, head into things like Sins Past, which uh, if you ever want to see Norman Osborn's O Face, you can find it there. Um, also, Civil War, uh, Spider Man becoming. Tony Jr. for the first time, and the unmasking, of course. We had The Other, where Spidey got his uh, organic web shooters to fit in more in line with the movies. I mean, it was like we were getting bombarded with crap at the end of the uh, Straczynski run, in my opinion. I mean, people may have really enjoyed that, but I sure did not. Uh, The fact that we unmasked Spider-Man was uh, one of those things that... I, it was like a tipping point for me You know, people will talk about One More Day Which we'll talk about briefly in a bit But uh, people talk about One More Day as being that You know, Rubicon That Marvel cross that made it so They never wanted to read Spider-Man again You know, this was their jumping off point This is the I'm done with Spider-Man forever For me, uh, the unmasking Was uh, was a, a bigger change to me I, I and it was short-lived. It was very short-lived, mostly due to things like One More Day. But the way they went about it, and in the book that they did it in, showed a real disregard and disrespect for, in my opinion, for the Amazing Spider-Man title. I mean, Amazing Spider-Man was very much a flagship book for the entire Marvel line, and they didn't even have him unmask in his own book. They had him unmask in Civil War number two to further Mark Miller screwing with the Marvel Universe, and uh, in my opinion, irreparably breaking a lot of the uh, key points and key elements of uh, of what made the universe special. What it also did was take away one of the biggest questions we as comic fans had, and uh, that question was, what would happen if Spidey was unmasked? You know, we wanted to know because that was part of the that was part of the threat to being Spider-Man, right? Being unmasked, having your family, your friends, your employer find out that you know Peter Parker is the menace of Spider-Man, right? That was like the big. I mean, how many Spider-Man issues ended with a with a threat to revealing who was under the mask? It, it happened all the time, and we always kind of came back for it. You know, here with the the Civil War unmasking, that question was answered. And it wasn't a dream, it wasn't a hoax, it wasn't an imaginary story, it was something that actually happened. Regardless of whether or not it was retconned out, we now have that answer. You know, that's a genie we can't put back in the bottle. We now know how J. Jonah Jameson would react to finding out that Peter Parker's Spider-Man. We now know what supervillains would say upon finding out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. That's not a genie we can put back into the lamp. You know, we don't have the men in black, you know, pen lights to wipe our memories. The threat is gone because we know exactly how it's going to play out. And so it was at this point that I kind of went to, you know, sporadic Spider-Fan. Again, I pick up an issue here and there. If the cover spoke to me, (laughs) I would pick it up. But uh, I... Stayed away for probably the better part of a year Just I didn't miss it I didn't feel like I was missing anything And then one more day Which promised to Change things <laughs> Sort of, kind of, right? Um, I went in on uh, One more day Because I, I didn't know what to expect here 
the news was kind of out as to what uh, Casada and company were planning to do or wanted to do, but the question about how in the world are they going to do this was kind of enough to pique uh, the interests of many, I would assume. And then we see how it all goes down, and uh, I, I don't know if that I've ever seen anyone say anything good about that story. You know, I, 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 I don't know anybody who said anything inoffensive about that story. <laughs> if, if you are listening and you enjoyed One More Day, please let me know. And, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have enjoyed Brand New Day and taking Spider-Man to an older status quo, but the way they went about doing it. The deal with the devil sort of thing. That That's something I want to hear. If anybody out there liked that idea, <laughs> I would love to hear from you. Because, you know, when I when I was reading that the first time, I thought that this was going to be like a... Uh, kind of like a monkey's paw sort of wish. You know, uh, they're going to trade away their marriage for Aunt May's health, right? But you're making a deal with the devil. And I'm sure we've all seen enough episodes of The Twilight Zone to know that the devil always wins. You know, the house <laughs> always wins. They always get their money back. So I'm sitting there reading this, and I'm assuming that Aunt May's going to be returned to health. She's going to take one step outside her house. She's going to go across the street, and she's going to get plowed by a semi. You know, it's like, well, Mephisto didn't lie. <laughs> he, he saved her from her coma. But she died anyway, so screw you, Peter. You know, don't make a deal with the devil. Or Mary Jane, I guess, who actually did it. Don't do not do that. Don't make the deal with the devil. But, of course, that's not what happened. We went into Brand New Day, which was similar to the current Beyond run here, in that it's a thrice-to-four-times-monthly book, just the one title, and um, it has a rotating cast of creators. And I figured, okay, cool. I only have to follow one book now, no more Friendly Neighborhood, no more Spectacular, no more Peter Parker. It's just amazing. I gotta follow one book. It's a new beginning, a fresh start. Maybe we lost some of the baggage. The Secret Identity's back in the bag. Uh, Peter's back to having mechanical web shooters. Okay, maybe we take the good, we take the bad. You know, I wasn't a fan of dropping the marriage. Um, As long as I've been reading, Spider-Man's been married. You know, Peter's been married since, what was it, 1987, 88? I started reading in earnest a few years after that. So to me, Peter Parker was always married. It was my generation of fandom that was kind of uh, kind of being, like, uh, nudged out the door <laughs> at that point. Because lest we forget, you know, us awful comic fans who are so resistant to change are uh, the reason why comics are uh, ever in, in dire straits or in the toilet. Except if you're, you know, being paid to be fans of the comics Um, You know, turning Peter Parker back into some sad sack living in Aunt May's attic Or, uh, you know, dumping Kyle Rayner and Wally West to bring back uh, Hal Jordan and Barry Allen You know, that stuff's okay Just so long as you're not a paying customer complaining about these changes Then it's it's all good But uh, I didn't stick around with Brand New Day for very long I think I only made it into the second uh, storyline because it's just like Beyond, it's, you know, like I said, it's a rotating cast of creators who are, uh, you know, putting in the work to keep this book coming out as regularly as possible. And I want to say it was either the end of the second or third arc that had a cliffhanger where uh, Spider-Man was almost unmasked on TV. And I kind of just, like, wiped my hands of it. It was just like, nope, nope, F you. You broke that. <laughs> you broke that uh, device. You don't get to play with it again. 
you don't get to put that back in our faces. And is that a silly reason to drop out of a book? Probably. Is it a petty reason? Of course. But I was done. I was done. I read that, and the next time I went to the comic shop, I said, take Spider-Man out of my pull list. (laughs) I did not want it anymore. And I was gone for the rest of the brand new day, year or year and a half, or however long it went uh, before we got to big time, where Dan Slott took over as the sole writer of Amazing. And I popped back in for that, and I, I enjoyed it. For the most part, anyway, uh, I wasn't too keen on um, the uh, the push of Carly Cooper as uh, Peter's love interest. I felt like she was really being shoved down our throats. But then again, I'm you know from the the Mary Jane school of uh, Spider fandom, so I might have had something to do with it. But for the most part, I I wasn't. It was very seldom I was disappointed in a dance slot issue for the for the first run on Amazing. And we go from the first run on Amazing to a book called Superior Spider-Man, which, (laughs) when that was announced, uh, I was, I already was, uh, you know, wringing my hands. I'm like, this is going to be garbage. This is going to suck. Who is going to want to read Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man's body? How long can they plan on this actually being a viable story? I was just like, I was ready to check out. And uh, it just so happened that with Marvel Now, uh, I was ordering from DCBS, and they or- they offered like this amazing deal if you bought every Marvel Now book, something like sixty five percent off. So I was like, okay, well I could buy my regular Marvel books, or I could spend like an extra ten dollars and get like everything <laughs> from Marvel. So I did that, and I tried Superior, and boy. I was hooked. It was such a great story. I I talked about Bendis being born to write Ultimate Spider-Man. I think Slot was born to write Superior. It was so much fun. They got so much mileage out of that. It was unbelievable how, how well that was written, how well that came together, and how by the time it ended, it actually felt like it had served its purpose. It didn't feel like it was stretched out too long. It didn't feel like it was cut short. It felt like it lasted just as long as it needed to and was designed to. It was honestly probably my favorite run on Spider-Man in the past 15, 20 years. And it didn't even have Peter Parker in it. How about that? That's a run I will always hold in the like highest regard. Just a, a wonderful, wonderful run. But, you know, all good things come to an end, and we were thrown back into uh, yet another volume of Amazing. And, yeah, this one wasn't my favorite. This one, um, this was, uh, you know, Parker Industries uh, era, where I feel like Peter Parker kind of lost his way. He wasn't the same character anymore. And, of course, there were changes that happened while he was, you know, dead. But it was... um, I don't know, just very underwhelming. And then just a little while after that, we had Secret Wars happen, and Miles Morales is brought in, and it became pretty clear to me that Miles was the Spider-Man that Marvel wanted to push uh, a little harder than Peter, because Peter kind of fell into the background. And this was around the time I was trying to kind of kick my Marvel addiction, but I couldn't. So I kept a lot of books on my pull list, even though I I wasn't reading them. Amazing Spider-Man was one of them, Avengers was one of them, Um, the X-Books were among them, just books that I couldn't quit. Because I knew, even though I wasn't reading them, 
I knew if I pulled off the books that I wasn't reading anymore, I would have zero Marvel books in my pull list. And just the very thought of that was, um, I don't know, it was too hard to, to deal with. It was one of those, you know, things I lost sleep over. You know, could I, could I possibly still be a comic book fan without Marvel in the equation? And I didn't think it was possible. So I kept buying these books that I had... Uh, I, I can't say I had no intention of reading them, because I, I wanted to. <laughs> I certainly wanted to read them. And I gave it the old college try every once and again, but it just never pulled me back the way it had. So uh, I kept up with it. I uh, kept up with it through Marvel Legacy, the renumbering back to the Legacy numbering. I think it went up to, like, issue 800 or something like that before uh, Dan Slott... Uh, finally, uh, you know, handed the book over. And then I found that it was going to be Nick Spencer who was taking over, and I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Nick Spencer at all. So uh, I thought that would be the most opportune time to officially cut the cord, and uh, that's exactly what I did. I stopped ordering Amazing Spider-Man with the final issue of uh, Slot's tenure, and I thought I was going to be gone forever. And here we are at Beyond, where I was brought in here for one reason and uh, one reason only, and it's the fact that Zeb Wells is involved. And if you're following X-Lapse, you'll know that I've had absolutely nothing but great things to say about Wells's work on Hellions. And uh, the fact that he is one of the few writers in comics nowadays who I think is legitimately funny. An absolute perfect fit for Spider-Man And in fact he has written for uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man Back almost 20 years Jeez, almost 20 years ago (laughs) And I remember enjoying that as well Though I couldn't tell you a single thing about it at this point But I saw Wells was involved I saw Patrick Gleason was involved in the art And he blew me away on the post-rebirth Superman stuff So... I mean, that's a win-win. Uh, Kelly Thompson, who was you know, knocking my socks off on, uh, on Deadpool and uh, Jeff the Land Shark. I mean, there, there's really no going wrong here. So I thought that despite the fact that this is quite an investment in time and, uh, yes, money, because these are, there are a lot of these books coming out every month, I thought it was time to dip my toe back into, uh, into the webs. So uh, here we are. And I'm looking at the recording time already. We're over a half hour here, and I still consider this the quick and dirty because I could have said <laughs> so much more. I could have certainly said a lot less, but uh, what are you going to do? Here we are. So if you're still listening, thank you so much for indulging me. And uh, how about we get into today's book? This is Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 75. Had a December 2021 cover date and a legacy number of 876. Story is Beyond Chapter 1, written by Zeb Wells with art by Patrick Gleason. Colors by Marceo Menes, maybe? Uh, letters VCs Joe Sabino. The Beyond board includes Thompson, Ziegler, Ahmed, Gleason, and Wells. Edits Kohik, Low Sabolski. Cover price $6. Went on sale October the 6th of 2021. Now I'm coming in here cold. I have not read a Spider-Man book since the early parts of uh, the post-Superior run. So uh, we do get a catch-up page, and it's, well, it really doesn't, yeah, it doesn't go back that far, but it does give us the recent goings-on here. There was something called a Sinister War, and it's now over. Peter's life has been left scathed, and Harry Osborn has been left very, very dead. So that's what we need to know. Now we open in Flashback Land. Now it's a story of a six-year-old Peter, and he's been a rather bad boy indeed. 
You see, he swiped a piece of gum from Mr. Luis's bodega. And he was pretty brash about it as well, having a chew right there as he walked home with Aunt May. Well, May sees him blow a bubble, and she marched him right back to the store so he could hand over the nickel that the gum should have cost him. And uh, is gum a nickel anymore? I remember I used to buy, uh, like, the pieces of bazooka back in the day, and it would be a nickel. And it'd be in that big jug on the deli counter or something. You'd pick, you know, the flavors you want. You'd be lucky when it wasn't just the pink. You know, the, the, the pink bazooka. I, I think I had a piece of that, like, six or seven years ago, and I still kind of taste it every once in a while. That's not, not great stuff. But you'd get the blue sometimes. you get the raspberry sometimes. It's... Those were good days. Those were really good days. Now, anyway, that night, Peter was sent into the basement to have a man-to-man chat with Uncle Ben. Now, Ben tells him that our actions when we feel nobody is watching are what truly make us who we are. But the one person that we can never hide ourselves from is the one we face in the mirror. The camera then swings around to show us the, in like an over-the-shoulder view from, like, Peter's point of view. And we can see that Uncle Ben's face is missing having been replaced with, like, a black, webbed-filled void. Peter springs up in bed, having woken up from this nightmare, and he uh, goes about his, you know, getting-out-of-bed ritual. And he reminds himself that everything that had gone down recently did, in fact, go down. You know, as in to say, Harry is actually dead. Now, after showering and shaving, there's a knock at the door. Pete knows that it's his pal Randy who will undoubtedly want to talk about Harry. Well, Pete slips out the window as to not have to face him right this very minute. He climbs up to the the side of the building, suits up, and then spideys around the city, which is pretty much the scene that kicks off any brave new era for Spider-Man. But this time, as he swings, he sees something quite bizarre. Well, maybe not too bizarre considering the current state of things. It's another Spider-Man. And you might be saying to yourself, so what? thinking that this is like just one of the several hundred spider characters zipping through Marvel's New York City. But, no, 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 this one's different. Now, this imposter shushes Peter, which really gets under his skin. Pete then nails the dupe with some webs, but, well, they don't stick to this guy's suit. And so he and we give chase. The imposter deploys a spinneret, which wraps Peter up, leaving him laying on the roof of a building, and he will be tied up there for an hour. The doohickey suggests that he used this time to reflect on his life. We jump to the following morning at Empire State University, where I'm guessing Peter is back to being a student, taking classes. You know, last I left him, he was still coasting off a doctorate that he'd earned while Otto was in his brain. Anyway, he meets up with his study group and finds out that he's been replaced as part of their upcoming group project for Dr. Connors. You see, it might not come to a surprise to any of us, but uh, Peter is not the most reliable lab partner. Now, once his classmates have left, our hero is approached by Ben Riley. Now, Ben asks Pete if he's got a second to chat. Now, over coffee, the two do chat over current spider events. Ben does reveal that he was the other Spider-Man over at the Goddard building. Now, he says that he was in the middle of a fully staffed test run. And he kind of panicked when he saw Peter, fearing that, quote-unquote, they might have been listening in, and he didn't want any unnecessary beans spilled. Now, Peter inquires as to what Ben means by they. And, well, the they in question is the Beyond Corporation. Pete's never heard of him, and he reminds Ben that he was never all that great at being a businessman, so why, why would he know of them? 
Uh, ben explains that Beyond is a conglomerate that's been buying up pieces of various tech companies, including Roxxon, Brand, and Parker. Kind of getting Orcus vibes here. Um, I actually did a little bit of research here to see if this was Beyond's first appearance, and uh, no, they're actually from Next Wave, that uh, odd Warren Ellis, uh, Stuart Eminem series. I didn't expect that. <laughs> anyway, now Pete's not sure what Ben's getting at. He says that he sold off all the Parker Industries stuff, so what could Beyond possibly buy? And we actually get a handy footnote, which points us over to Amazing Spider-Man number 790 for all the details on that. Now, Ben tells him that Beyond bought some trademarks of Parker's, including the one for the name and likeness of Spider-Man. Uh, Peter doesn't remember ever filing any such trademark and deduces that it probably happened during the superior days. Now, honestly, I can't remember if this actually happened on panel or if this is just, like, clever use of some empty in-between panel space. Either way, I'm fine with it. So the gist here is that Beyond is looking to get into the superhero business, and now they're going to be putting Spider-Man on their payroll. Well... A Spider-Man. Peter cuts away from the convo to tell some vagrant not to steal a tip off a nearby table before getting back into it. He says that Beyond cannot own Spider-Man because he is Spider-Man. Ben kind of drops a bomb on him that, uh, well, it is happening. It sucks for Pete, but that doesn't change the facts. Now, Peter asks why Ben's changed his mind about laying low, which I guess is something he said he'd do after his latest resurrection. And he didn't even need a gold ball to do it. How about that? Now, Ben says that Beyond put him back together and gave him a purpose in life. He reminds Peter that, regardless of whether or not Ben's own memories are real, he still has the same Uncle Ben values inside him. He asks Peter to sit on the sidelines while he takes over the mantle for Beyond. Pete says no, and he's offended that Ben would even ask. To which Ben tells him that, uh, well, he's not exactly asking. He explains to Peter that Beyond is doing this with or without either of them. Now, if Ben doesn't take the role, they'll just find someone else to fill the suit. Ben says he chose to play ball that's, so that Spider-Man could still have someone raised with their particular set of values. And they're also paying him stupid money, which, I mean, that, that always helps the decision-making process, doesn't it? Now, we follow Ben back to his apartment, where he's greeted by his Mary Jane-looking girlfriend, Janine, who's now sporting a shorter haircut so he can identify her at a glance, I suppose. Now, she appears to be very happy with their current lot in life and asks if Ben was able to talk with Peter. He confirms that he had and explains that it went about as well as it could have. Their chat is interrupted by Marcus Montplessier, who uh, doesn't want to hear anything about Ben's discussions with anybody. He wants Beyond to have a measure of plausible deniability regarding anyone who might have worn the Spidey mantle any time in the past. Now, after complimenting Janine's new haircut, Marcus gets down to business. He sends Ben to R&D so he can have his suit fitted with some radiation shielding. We rejoin Peter, who's popped in on Mary Jane to fill her in on what's gone down. They talk a little bit about Harry before the conversation veers into the meeting with Ben. MJ's all, uh-oh knowing that any time Ben pops up in their lives, some bad stuff is bound to go down. And Pete's all, eh, funny you mention that. <laughs> However, before he can explain, he gets a message, a text message from Akai, whoever that is, informing him of some goings down by ESU. And so Peter suits up and heads off. 
Mary Jane tells him that he needs to take a moment to process the loss of Harry, and Pete says that he will, just not right now. We jump over to the explosion at ESU, and we find out that the baddies we got for this issue are the UFOs. And Peter tells them that they smell, which was apparently a joke they'd already heard. Then Ben shows up, so it's uh, Spideys versus UFOs for the next several pages. Now, Ben is clearly the superior Spider-Man in this situation, as his costume has been treated with all sorts of goodies. Now, he's able to repel Ironclad, and uh, Vector and Vapor use some powers in tandem, you know, hoodoo, to cause a great big radio-volatile explosion. Now, once the dust settles, Ben is still standing thanks to his souped-up suit, and he KOs the last UFO left upright. At this point, he realizes that uh, his partner Pete, well, he didn't have the luxury of wearing a Beyond brand costume. And so our man is suffering from the fallout of the blast. Peter removes his mask and just vomits before passing out. And that is where we leave it. Uh, before we get into our backup stories, because there are two backup stories, we do get a uh, an introduction to the Beyond board here. Uh, now, Zeb's work on Hellions doesn't get a mention. <laughs> it's uh, more about his Disney Plus stuff, which I guess makes more sense to the mainstream and casual fan. Though, if I were a betting man, I'd say that the casuals are probably not shelling out $6 for this issue. And, uh... I want to remind you that his work on Hellions is the only reason that I'm here, so it would have been nice to see it get a mention. The rest of the crew gets introduced here. Uh, we know Kelly Thompson from Deadpool. Uh, Saladin Ahmad, um, I don't know much about him. I think the only the only thing I knowingly read that he was involved with was uh, that latest volume of Exiles. I read the first issue of that, and... Uh, did not care for it, but um, I mean that it was a it was a weird series, so maybe that's more part of it here. I am looking forward to seeing uh, what he does here on on Amazing, though. Let's pop over to our backups here. Our first one is called Love and Monsters, written by Kelly Thompson, with art by Travel Foreman, colors Jim Campbell, letters VCs Joe Caramagna, and uh, this is basically four pages of Misty Knight and Colleen Wing fighting like frogmen while bantering about Misty's love life. Now, Colleen accuses Misty of being a bit too harsh on the men in her life, and they ultimately beat the baddies before being approached by Spider-Man. Now, Misty instantly realizes Spidey as being Ben Riley, and he comes with a proposition for them and asks if they are for hire. Misty gives them the thumbs up, and um, if I had to guess, I'd say that this might be heading into Amazing Spider-Man 78.BEY, which has the Daughters of the Dragon prominently placed on its cover. I, I could be wrong. They might just be uh, cast members at this point, for all I know. Uh, next up, we got Kafka, written by Zeb Wells, with art by Ivan Fiorelli, colors Edgar Delgado, letters VCs Joe Caramagna. Now here we're at Ravencroft, where Dr. Ashley Kafka is running some tests on Electro. Now she's got him hooked up to a memory viewing machine in an attempt to help him work through his past trauma. This doesn't quite work and the machine goes boom. She attempts to explain this to the board, and also tries to get a little bit more funding out of them, which also looks to be unsuccessful. She's then met by our new friend, Marcus Montplacer, who makes her an offer that could help her with her funding woes. You see, Beyond is very much interested in her work, and they'd really like to do whatever they can to help her advance it. Eh, she's not so sure. Marcus then plops Ben Riley's file on her desk in hopes that that might pique her interest, 
and it looks like it does. Well, that's our first issue of the Beyond Era Spider-Man. Uh, what do we think about that? What do we think about that? Um, I tell you, I probably could have done without the backups. <laughs> the backups, I don't feel like they added all that much to me here. And, you know, the Daughters of the Dragon story, it was, like I said, it was only like four or five pages, but I swear I was reading it longer than I read the entire first part of the of the book. <laughs> It felt like it wouldn't end. That might have something to do with the fact that I I really don't have much interest in either of those characters, but it felt long. It might have been like the shortest slog <laughs> ever, but uh, the lead story, I have absolutely nothing bad to say. Uh, it was uh, very interesting, and coming in having not read Spider-Man for a number of years, I didn't feel too terribly lost. You know, uh, we know from... Very, very brief catch-up page, right? We know what happened just now. We know where we're at, kinda. I mean, I still have some questions. I don't know what the relationship between Peter and Mary Jane is right now. I don't know uh, what Aunt May is up to. I don't know what Jameson is up to. Um, Who was his girlfriend during Superior? Was it Maria? I don't remember her name. Um, Is she around still? I mean, is there any remnant of Parker Industries still... Out there somewhere Don't know the answers to that Don't need to know the answers for that just yet All we really need to know Is that Peter's life has just recently taken A pretty sizable blow In the loss of, uh, of his friend Harry And with this issue uh, The hits just keep on coming, right? Uh, he's approached by Ben Who basically uh, Tries to bench him You know, uh, I, I don't know what Peter's life Looks like right now, but you got to assume that being Spider-Man is uh, uh, one of the ways he identifies himself, one of the important things in his life. And now it's he's being threatened with the possibility of not being able to do that anymore or you know just literally having to share his life with uh, with someone he thought was a non-factor now. We know he's been resurrected, uh, Ben Riley that is, but we don't know how or when that happened if we're coming into this fresh like I am. Don't need to really know it. Uh, I mean, when I left the books, um, Kane was uh, the Scarlet Spider. And he had that uh, that sidekick, I believe, if I'm remembering right. Wasn't he part of... Boy, I can't, that, that, that era of Marvel now is like a blur to me. That, did he join the New Warriors again? I don't remember. But as for a first chapter of this new era, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I don't regret having gone all in on the first month of these books. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, I've bought the first three months. (laughs) They're, of course, not out yet, but uh, they are pre-ordered and will be coming as uh, soon as uh, I get my shipments. So I can say I'm definitely looking forward to more of this. Uh, I mean, uh, Zeb Wells will not be writing all of them, so it'll be interesting to see how the tone, uh, like, maintains uh, the quality and, and the flow that we have here. Speaking of quality and flow, uh, Patrick Gleason, good grief. Uh, This is some wonderful art here. Uh, This is a really, really good-looking book. I mean, that's no surprise, uh, seeing where uh, what Gleason's done before on Superman and stuff like that. And I know that he was involved with the the storytelling in Superman with uh, Peter Tomasi. So I wonder if Gleason will be... uh, Part of the storytelling and world-building uh, process here on the uh, Beyond Books He is listed as being part of the Beyond Board So 
I, I think uh, that's a pretty positive sign, and I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what he uh, brings to the table. Overall, I, I think the only... It's not even a bad thing I can say about it, but it, it's an expensive book. It's six dollars. Um, I mean, I I do the pre-order, so I get them like fifty percent off, forty percent off, something like that. So I, my buy-in wasn't you know quite as high as it would have been had I just decided spur of the moment to pick this up off the shelf. That said, would I have felt slighted or ripped off in any way had I spent six dollars for it? I don't think so. I don't think so. Like I said at the at the start of this little bit here, um, I could have done without the backups. You know, if this had just been a straightforward, just the Wells story, maybe cut it down to $5. Like, you know, like a first issue usually is at Marvel. Or maybe, maybe a first issue is now $6 at Marvel, for all I know. But, um, yeah, maybe if this were a buck cheaper, uh, it would be a, an easier impulse buy. But I, I don't think you'll be disappointed if you drop the full amount for it. It's very good, it's very promising, and um, like I said, I'm... Definitely looking forward to more, and uh, yeah, I hope you guys are as well. Like I said, I don't know if this is going to be a thing that I do. <laughs> this might just be a one and done. Maybe it's something that we'll dedicate three or four days to a month. We'll just, you know, play it by ear for now. But I think that's about all I have for you today. Uh, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me to talk... Well, anything. Spidey, the X-Men, the weather. <laughs> Doesn't matter to me. Please feel free to reach out. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. The group over there is 90s X-Men. Uh, for the complete audio archives, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And uh, there is a Patreon at patreon.com slash xlapsed. And while I'm here, I want to thank Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse D. Young, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast for all of their support. You're all the best, and uh, hey, if you want more shows like this, please, please let me know. But that's going to do it for today. I hope everyone out there is having a warm and wonderful holiday if you're celebrating, and a warm and wonderful day if you're not. (laughs) And uh, thank you all so much for spending a little bit of that day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.